0: Hey everybody, hope you all had a great weekend. We're here live on To The Point with so much to dive into. It's an exciting week. The NFL returns in just two sleeps. Tomorrow there will be a two-pack of podcasts, AFC West and NFC West preview shows. So those are coming tomorrow, those two podcasts. Thursday we're going to do My Predictions. My playoff teams for the AFC and NFC, I will go over over over-unders when it comes to betting and best bets to place going into the start of the season. I will make my Super Bowl prediction. So all that is forthcoming Thursday before the kickoff. Lions-Chiefs Thursday night. And of course, a slew of games, full slate of games this coming weekend, which I cannot wait for. So that's what's coming for content this week. We also got a UFC pay-per-view this weekend. So it's all it's great stuff. September is here. The weather's nicer than it has been all damn summer, which pisses me off. I don't know about all of you, but I'm gonna enjoy that it's nice out, but it couldn't have been nice in July. No, let's get more rain. But you can't control weather. We learned that at a young age, and yet I continue to bitch about it. So I guess I haven't learned much in my Almost 25 years of life, which I got a couple days left of being 24, before I am 25. Before we get to college football, I just want to say happy birthday to really the, the person who makes a few appearances on this show when she feels like speaking up, and that would be Dirk, my little nine and a half pound miniature wiener dog. She's three today. If you want to get a dog, get a dog. They're great. And wiener dogs are funny. They're temperamental. But they're great friends. And happy birthday to Dirk. So three years old already, which is, I can't believe it. Thank you for letting me indulge on that. Let's pivot to college football. What a weekend. I went into the weekend seeing a few games that I thought were interesting. A few games where I looked at and go, I, I, I'm looking forward to watching this. I, there's some intrigue there. What happens here if this happens? But it was, I thought it was a week one that was just okay. And I looked at the week two slew of games and okay, okay, week two is better. Which it still probably will be. But week one turned out to be very exciting. Very interesting. And you you could start with Duke or you could go with Florida State, who Matt Wright correctly predicted would beat LSU. And boy, did they over the weekend. So Good job to writer on that prediction. But you have to start with Colorado. The Buffaloes. The team who were one and eleven last year, one and eight in conference play in the Pac-12. And in the off season, they did something that nobody in college football really endorsed, or nobody in college football really liked. They made Dion Sanders, Coach Prime, their head coach. It was a decision you look at and go, Colorado's desperate. Dion's too flashy. He does things his own way. He's taking away, he's making every one of these kids that's currently on the team transfer. He's bringing in a whole, a whole new team. And people didn't like it because forever it's college football. Oh, it's Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, Dabo Sweeney. It has to be done a certain way. The old boys' club, the. Let's not give an answer when, we, when we're conducting an interview. Deion Sanders will give you a quote. Deion Sanders will answer the question the way he wants to answer the question. And we had, it was all summer. How's it going to look? How's it going to go for Dion? Is he going to have success? Is he, is he going to look good? Well, week one, they're facing TCU the team that was in the national championship game last year and came into the season the number 17th ranked team in the country. And Colorado only brought back three players from last year's team. 68 players came over in the transfer portal, and they had eight walk-ons. Shadur Sanders... Dion's son at quarterback Travis Hunter, one of the most electric prospects in college football, playing corner and wide receiver like Dion used to do. And it was a fascinating game from start to finish. Colorado defense started off, forcing TCU to have a three and out. Then Colorado went on an opening drive touchdown, sending a message hitting true freshman Dylan Edwards on a wheel route from Shadur Sanders. And throughout the day, it was, in particular in the second half, it was back and forth. Shadur goes down the field. Chandler Morris, not a bad quarterback for TCU, goes with a few strikes. TCU starts to run the ball extremely effectively because, as Joel Clapp pointed out correctly in the broadcast, Colorado doesn't have the depth that that other teams do. They don't have the the players that you necessarily look at and go, okay, that's a stud player that, that can stop the run. And TCU started to take advantage of it. But Colorado never flinched. They never panicked. They were down with eight minutes left in the ball game, And what happens? Oh, yeah, how about a one-play score from Shadur Sanders? And he comes over from Jackson State. Not you know an an HCBU, not a not a program that gets a lot of play. And he sets a school record, a Colorado Buffalo record. They've been playing college football a minute. He comes over in his first game, he goes 37 for 46, 510 yards passing, most in school history, and four touchdowns. He also And this is a crazy stat. The Buffaloes had four receivers go over 100 yards. They only had four 100-yard receivers in all their games last year when they went 1-11. So they did something. It took 12 games. They did it in one game this season. And back and forth, they didn't turn the ball over. TCU makes a mistake on fourth down. Colorado gets them off the field. And before you know it, the Buffaloes stun TCU in Fort Worth, Texas, and Coach Prime wins his first game. And what was fascinating is they do the interview after the game. Jenny Taffer Fox is with Dion. But he brings over Travis Hunter and his son. Arguably the two most important players in the game. Travis Hunter made this interception. That was one of the most incredible plays I've ever seen. But this kid played 110 snaps, defense and offense. I think he's a better corner than a wide receiver. And I think on this particular team, they need him to play corner. But he can do both. He's got the skill set. And I just never seen anything like it. He brought them both for the interview. He he left halfway through it so he could give, you know, the honor to them. They got the praise. He said, these are, these are the players. These are the guys who went out there and won the game. And what was funny is the players talked about Dion saying he made us, we believe this all, all summer. We came here to win games. We didn't just come here to be some sideshow. And it's one game. Yes, it's one game. But they only won one game all of last year. You just won on the road in 110 degree heat in Texas against the runner-up to the national championship. Sonny Dykes was the Associated Press Coach of the Year in college football. Coach Prime just beat him in his home. In front of their packed crowd. Where Fox's crew was there for big noon kickoff. Which is the better show now compared to college game day. Sorry, Pat McAfee. It's your fault. (laughs) But this was crazy. So they get week one. They're on national TV on Fox. They play TCU. They win. What happens in week two? They're on national TV again when Colorado has their home opener against Nebraska. Matt Rule, another one of these coaches who just came from the NFL, first year at Nebraska, he criticized Deion for the way he's doing the transfer portal and it's wrong and this, that, and the other thing. They have beef. They went at one another in the offseason, and now they get to settle it on the field. Nebraska loses at the buzzer. To Minnesota in Week One, the Buffaloes are coming off a big win, but their over/under for the season was three and a half, and they're not going to be a college football playoff team. That's not the that's not the story here. But I look at the rest of their schedule; they got Nebraska. At home this Saturday, I think they're gonna win that game. Then they get Colorado State at home. I think they're gonna win that game. So there's three games right there. They they go to Oregon, tough game. Oregon's a good, really good football team. Okay, loss home to USC, probably a loss. Colorado State, I'm sorry, Arizona State. They can, to me, they can go in and beat Arizona State. Arizona State's in a weird spot right now. They have a new head coach who came over from Oregon. But could they beat Arizona State? Sure, 4-2. Stanford, they can beat Stanford, 5-2. five, and, five and two. UCLA? If it was UCLA of last year with Dorian Thompson-Robinson and Zach Charbonnet, I need to see UCLA play more. I think that's a toss-up. Oregon State, tough game. But these games get Arizona, Washington State. I think this team can win seven to eight games, be bowl eligible, finish eight and four. That's a big deal for this team to have one win and to be in a bowl game the next year at the very least, to go eight and four. That would be a huge moment for Dion just to have that, to to be in the mix in the Pac-12 before they pivot to the Big 12 next year. It's a whole season and you need to do it week after week after week, but he did it at Jackson State. Nobody can tell me he's not bought in. He doesn't want this team to be successful. He does, he might be motivated just to throw it in people's face, and I'm fine with that. Your reasoning or your motivation doesn't have to be aligned with everybody else's. Nick Saban's motivation, who knows? He always says he wants to build young men. We all know that's a crock of shit. That's not the reason he coaches football. But his reasoning, we'll never know because it's just it's Nick Saban, he doesn't share. And I'm not buying that first reason. Wants to build strong young men. Okay. Go go to the fucking Marines, Nick. That's what they're doing there. That's what they're doing in the Army. You're you're coaching football at Alabama. Get over yourself. But if he wants to shove it in people's face and if he can get to, you know, a Power 5 conference and look at everybody and go, we can compete with you. We just won a non-conference game. We just beat a Big 12 team. They get Nebraska this week. If They can beat a Big 10 and a Big 12 team in two weeks to start the season. Woo! there's some spice there. Headlines, big moments, and you get to play on Fox and back-to-back weeks. It's pretty exciting. What he did in the first week, Shadur Sanders looks like a player that can get to the NFL and succeed when he gets there. Great reads, accurate, smart. He just knows where to go with the football. He didn't force throws, made plays happen. He can use his legs if he has to. And they got talent. Dylan Edwards, a running back, had four touchdowns himself. Travis Hunter's a stud. Could they pull off an upset during the season where they, they surprise an Oregon? Or they get a USC? Maybe. They play like they did yesterday. Who knows? Because they can score. They can score points. We all we all know USC doesn't play defense. A lot of teams in the Pac-12 don't play defense. Utah late in the year? Maybe. Tough place to play, but they just won on the road. So who knows? I'm not I think it's a phenomenal story. I'm not gonna go this team is gonna make the playoff or this team is a massive but I'm gonna give props to Dion for doing what nobody thought. He was a twenty and a half point underdog. I bet on him this weekend, but I didn't bet on him outright to win. I still made money, however, because I bet on the Colorado. If you go back to Friday show if you want to see the bets, your boy had a pretty good weekend when it comes to when it comes to gambling, put in a little parlay on Saturday and I'm smiling. Coming into uh, coming into the airwaves here on here on Tuesday, but Coach Prime has to be happier as he gears up for Nebraska because they made a statement and they're on the radar now. Certainly, I would say the second biggest story would have to be Sunday night game of the weekend. LSU, Florida State, number five, LSU, number eight, Florida State. Florida State had a had a good season last year. Mike Norvell is having some success down there at FSU. Jordan Travis is a quarterback that a lot of people like, think he could go high in the NFL draft. He's a dual threat. But I look at FSU and I go, I like their team. But I just think LSU is better. Jaden Daniels is coming back. They had their tight end. Running back set. They had a really good time in the transfer portal. A good recruiting class. And it was 17-14 LSU at the half. So, okay, two really good teams, which is about what I expected. I expected a close game, but in the second half, it was a blowout. Florida FSU beats LSU 45-24. to 24. I got a number of different takeaways from this game. But my biggest one that I, I love from Florida State is about Jordan Travis. I always looked at him and go, his athleticism was better than his quarterback traits. His legs were better than his arm, than his ability to throw the ball in the pocket, and make correct decisions. And, you know, he's predicated on having a good running game. And I, looking at this weekend, he didn't. They ran for 135 yards, which is good, but not great in college, if we're being honest. It's not, you know, superb. You know, they ran the ball... Quite a bit, but not not a whole lot of success. Jordan Travis ran seven times, five yard average. Hill ran five times, five yard a- five yard average. Benson, their starting running back, ran twelve times for forty seven yards, three yards a clip. That's no good. So they weren't they weren't winning on the ground. LSU was winning at the line of scrimmage, and they had to expose the secondary. Travis went twenty three for thirty one, three hundred forty two yards, and four touchdowns. Only 11 yard average, but he threw it all over the, threw it all over the field and made plays. And Florida State can play either way. Their defense was extremely solid in the second half. And the best thing about Florida State is they have two wide receivers that are going to the NFL. Keon Coleman had nine receptions, 122 yards, three touchdowns. And then there's Johnny Wilson, who's a wide receiver. Tight end, hybrid, he's huge. He reminds me of Darren Waller. And he had seven for 104. So two guys every week that will be asked to do a lot. LSU turned over the ball twice. They made mistakes down in the red zone. And Brian Kelly said, we got our ass kicked. Our team wasn't ready to play. They they wanted it more than us. He said I thought I thought my team was was really, really good, and they might not be, which is a hard, harsh statement. But this is a big deal for Florida State. They're another team that has a tough schedule. A really tough schedule. Next couple weeks, Southern Miss, Boston College, is not tough. But they get Clemson. We'll talk about Clemson in a minute. Virginia Tech, Duke, tougher game than you might expect. Pitt, I think it's a tougher game in the ACC this year because I think Pitt's pretty good. They get the University of Miami, and they play the Florida Gators to close out the year. But they might have beaten the best team on their schedule in LSU. Neutral site in Orlando, a lot of hype on a Sunday night. And you went out and got it done. You went out and made a statement. But Jordan Travis, I think, is going to leap up draft boards because he's got all the intangible. He's got the athleticism. And he showed that he can distribute the football from in the pocket and find receivers. Mike Norvell has quietly built a really good program at FSU. He's got the quarterback, finally, at Florida State. Long time you didn't have one. They got receivers who can play with them. They got a defense that can compete at the very least. And they got a dynamic offense. They can make plays happen, they stretch out the defense, and it's a tough day when you're playing FSU. It's a great start. I didn't expect them to win the game. I expect them to lose by a small margin. But they win. And looking at the weekend, you got to think they're the, f- the favorite in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Because last night, Clemson is opening up their season. Dabo Sweeney says, we got we built a good team, and I thought they did. D.J. Ugale has tran- transferred to Oregon State. He was their problem at quarterback. Kate Klubnick is their new guy. They're playing at Duke. Duke quietly had nine wins last year, which I forgot that you know they're a basketball school. But I forgot they had nine wins before the game started. I knew they had. A, I liked their quarterback and Riley Leonard. He was a guy I remember watching last year, but I did did not remember that they had nine wins. So Duke's at home. Dabo makes his run out, which he does every game to fire his team up. And it was a tale of two halves. Duke in the first half should have been leading the game by 10 points. But they muffed a the punt, which led to Clemson's touchdown. And the only touchdown of the game that Clemson scored, it led to that. And they fumbled inside the Clemson 20, which is Clemson took over, uh, re- regained possession. And Clemson led at the half 7-6. to six. And I went, oh, Duke's got to be shooting themselves in the foot. They're playing better, but you, you go into a half against a better program, arguably a better team, and you allowed them to, to be leading get back into the fight. One of the first plays of the second half, Riley Leonard breaks it off for a 42-yard rush touchdown. And before you know it, Duke is just moving the football. And what happens to Clemson, they have three turnovers in the second half. Kate Klubnick threw a pick and two fumbles. And both fumbles were in FSU territory and one of the fumbles is on the one-yard line. They're going to punch in a score. Two Clemson players run into each other. Ball uh, pops loose. Duke returns, it, picks it up, and it goes inside the Clemson 30, which resulted in a touchdown. So they turned the ball over three times. They only scored one touchdown the entire game. They ran the ball effectively over 209 yards. They had more first downs than Duke. 29-17, 29 to 17, more passing yards, more total yards, better time of possession. And yet they lose the game by three three touchdowns. K Klubnick was not good. He had a four yard average throwing the ball. Couldn't connect with receivers, wasn't reading the play well. Duke was doing a good job of getting pressure in his face. But he, did, he didn't look like a good college quarterback. He looked nervous. He looked like a guy that wasn't ready for the moment. Will Shipley ran the ball great. So did Phil Maffa. But Klubnik just made stupid mistakes, timely errors, throw the football away or check the ball down, and he didn't. So Duke beats number nine Clemson. In week one. Colorado wins in week one. FSU wins in week one. It's craziness. It's a long season. Clemson can rebound from this for sure. Dabo's a good coach. What I will say is that team did not look like a group that was full of talent. Will Shipley's great. I don't think the receivers, there's any elite guys there. I think they're going to have to run the football if really well. Get more physical win those battles and not turn the ball over. They're not going to win. They play Florida State on September 23rd. That's the, that's the game of the year for them. Because you already have a loss inside the ACC to Duke. You lose the second game, in my, in my mind, you're not going to the college football playoff. They weren't in the mix for the college football playoff last year. So that would be back-to-back years for Dabo Sweeney at Clemson where you're not even being considered. Looking through the year, they got Wake. You no know, Sam Hartman. It's not as big an opponent. They played Miami, who – I got to wait to watch them. They got Texas A&M this coming weekend. Maybe there's something there for, for Miami with Mario Cristobal. They play well. Maybe Miami could win the game. NC State I think is better than people getting credit for. Clemson has Notre Dame on their schedule, and I think Notre Dame's really good. I think Notre Dame's a better team than Clemson. Clemson also has to play the University of North Carolina who are no slouch, and they play South Carolina to close out the year, who, eh, we'll see. That's not an easy schedule for them. ACC's going to be tough. There's some decent teams. Arguably no great team, but a a few good teams that you have to worry about. The rest of the weekend... North Carolina versus South Carolina in Charlotte. I thought thought Drake May played really well in in the game on Saturday night. He was poised. He was calm, cool, and collective, and he made plays. Tail end of last year, I remember watching them. I watched them play Oregon in the bowl game. I watched them play might have been Clemson late in the year. And I, I looked at Drake May and I went, uh, eh, I don't know. He's He's got some flaws. Now, he threw two interceptions in this game. Two fourth quarter interceptions, but the game was out of hand. It was kind of a, it was a weird, weird game because it, it was over after the third quarter. You knew it. And South Carolina really didn't have anything to go on. Spencer Rattler was getting sacked and harassed quite a bit. And but I, I looked at North Carolina as a whole and I said Drake May's good. Peso the wide receiver is pretty good. Morales, I like their tight end. They have their senior running back recovered from a torn ACL. He looked explosive. He had hundred yards rushing on the day. He also had a few catches. Drake made it a good job of having the ability to run when he had to, but not doing it too much. For a week one game against South Carolina, which I thought was a dangerous opponent on a neutral field Saturday night, I thought he played pretty well. Was he the best quarterback of the weekend? No. You know, I, to me, Joel Klatz, the, the authority on college football, and he goes, North Carolina's not that talented of a team. And I agree and disagree with him because I think there's some talent there, but it's not loaded. North Carolina's got App State this weekend. And they go. They play Minnesota in a non-conference game. Pitt, Syracuse, they play Miami. They got Duke, Clemson, late in the year, NC State. The ACC's become interesting, for sure. I don't think there's any elite team. I think Florida State is by far the best. Now looking at it, but they have some games where you're going, uh, are they going to win that one? Is there a pothole there for that team that you expect them to get over the hump, but they don't manage to do it? It's a long season, and you got to be up for every game. But I was impressed with Drake May. Oklahoma won 73-0 to over the weekend. They played... You know, a non-team, a a team that you should – Arkansas State. But they get a massive score. So 73-0, that's something you don't see every day. Fresno State beat Purdue. I thought that was a sneaky game for Purdue. Aiden O'Connell departs for the NFL. Fresno State has had a pretty decent little program. They get a win. Michigan wins 30-3. First game with no – Jim Harbaugh serving his suspension. They beat East Carolina. They got they gotta keep finding their game, but again they schedule these easy opponents where they go East Carolina, they have they have UNLV this weekend, then they have another team that is hardly a, a, a team you'd want to like a challenge. So three games that they'll they'll win easy. And then Harbaugh will return and you ramp up your schedule. Their first game where you'd look at it and go, is there a tough opponent there? As I go through the games, week four, Michigan plays Rutgers. No, it doesn't start week four. Rutgers is their first conference game, and Rutgers, that's that's a joke game. That's not a tough game. Michigan, Nebraska, I don't even think that's a tough game in week five. So, Minnesota in week six might be their first really Tricky game, but I think they're yes, they only won 30 to 3 against East Carolina, who's not a great team. But I think Michigan is as good as anybody in the country. Any team, including Georgia, I think they're that talented. They're they're a veteran team. It's their year to do it. Other headlines. Let's see. Tennessee slow start with Joe Milton, but they ended up crushing Virginia 49 to 13. Their defensive line looked good with, I think, nine sacks on the day. Joe Milton wasn't completing passes. They were struggling. But he went 21 for 30, 201, two touchdowns. You'd like to see them throw the ball down the field a little more, but what I did like is they started to run the football. They ended up with five rushing touchdowns on the day, and they accepted that. They weren't afraid to do it. So Tennessee, I don't think they're going to be as good as they were last year. I need to see more of them play, but they, even in that big win, didn't look all that great. Ole Miss crushed Mercer, Jackson Dart, Spencer Sanders. Both got playing time. Both looked very solid for their respective teams. And Ole Miss had a hot start last year. They were 6-0, and and then they lost their last five. So we'll see what, what they do. I talked about this gambling-wise, but... I didn't trust Iowa against Utah State. 25-point favorite, Iowa football. They win by 10. They don't even score 25 points. Utah State with the easy cover. That was another easy pick for me. Cade McNamara, first start. They're a good team in the Big Ten, don't get me wrong, but you can't win by more than 10 points against Utah State. That tells you something about Iowa. Love to see that cover. Heisman watch. Yes, it's week one, but you can start it. Oregon won 81 to seven. Bo Nix, the literally got to play. Only had four incomplete, four incompletions. Three passing touchdowns. He didn't have to run the ball once the entire game. They were they were set. He's got Franklin at wide receiver, who's very good. Irving is back. Tyler Johnson at wide receiver. Oregon still got a good team out there in the Pac-12. One of the teams that was a bigger scare of the week was Ohio State. They beat Indiana, sure, but they won the game by 20 points. Indiana covered the spread. Kyle McCord had 13 incompletions. He did not throw a touchdown. Did throw a pick. They didn't run the football all that well. They did get two rushing touchdowns on the ground. But Marvin Harrison Jr. got injured in the first quarter. He only had two catches for 18 yards. And Mickey Ubuka only had three catches for 16 yards. He got hurt in the game. He left. So Ohio State looked shaky. They need Marvin Harrison Jr. to be healthy to play games. You might not need them right away because your schedule gets, you know, is not tough out of the gate. But Ohio State did not look, they got Youngtown State this weekend. Marvin Harrison Jr. is even a little bit sore. He's not playing for me because you'll win that game. But that was a team you go, wow, that's a national championship team. You expect to look dominant. Then they play Western Kentucky. They did not look threatening. Their offense did not look dynamic. They didn't have a quarterback that was going to go high in the draft, and it kind of showed. So it's on Ryan Day to improve this offense, make it dynamic. Anything? Georgia crushed UT Martin. No surprise there. USC with, with uh, Caleb Williams. You know, Heisman watch. He went 18 for 24, 319, five touchdowns. Just a quiet five tubs. Doing his thing. He hit my guy Zachariah Branch for a touchdown. He only had one catch in the game, but he's good on special teams. I still think we need to give him the ball more, but he caught a touchdown in back-to-back games as a true freshman. So that. Tells you something. The kids, the kids, legit. Baylor lost to Texas State. That's the big upset. Uh, Vandy beat Alabama and Penn State had their. I watched some of that game as well. They had their ups and downs. But they found it. I think Drew Allard is. He's legit. He's good. He he can make plays. You just need the rest of the team to kind of settle down with him. And play to their strengths, but I like Lambert Smith, Cephas. The wide receiver is good. He only had one catch. Wyoming upset Texas Tech and double overtime. UCLA because so, it was it was a fun it was a fun weekend in college football. Week two coming up, and I mentioned uh, week two's week two's a fun week for games. You got North Carolina, uh, sorry, Notre Dame at North Carolina State. More of a tricky game than I think we'll, you'd expect. Nebraska Colorado with the Dion effect makes the game more interesting. Iowa at Iowa State always a fun battle. Texas A&M at Florida, Ole Miss at Tulane, two ranked clubs facing off early in the year. You got SMU at Oklahoma. I want to see how Oklahoma plays in that game. SMU is a better team than people than you'd expect. Then you go with the eight o'clock showdown between Texas and Alabama. They played last year in Week Two. Alabama squeaked out a win. Both win in Week One. It's in Tuscaloosa. Can Steve Sarkisian, who used to be on Nick Saban's staff, pull off a big win? Because Texas. Needs one. You also that night get Wisconsin at Washington State, a little Big Ten versus Pac 12 action. Arizona at Mississippi State, that game's a little spicy for me. Stanford at USC, Oklahoma State, Arizona State, and Auburn and Cal. So, week two, some fun games upcoming. We're going to track it. We'll talk about the betting for these games on Friday alongside with the NFL games. So Fridays now is going to be a heavy gambling day. We'll talk about best bets for college. We'll talk about best bets for the NFL and just fun props, things of that nature. So betting Fridays on to the point are returning Stoke for that. And th- that will be fun content coming your way. But that's college football week one in a nutshell. The second thing that caught my attention this weekend if I'm watching sports, it was the U.S. Open. Tennis, four majors, you hone in on on the majors and the U.S. Open. When you have prime time and you have things of that nature, you you really get psyched up for that. It started on Saturday where Alina Rabakina, number four seed, former Wimbledon champion, loses to... Serana Cristea, number 30th seed from Romania in in an upset. And through all of that, you go through matches, you see Coco Goff get by Caroline Wozniacki. Wozniacki great run to the round of 16. I didn't expect her to get that far. So just doing that is is just incredible in and of itself. Carlos Alcaraz plays Dan Evans in a really fun match. Two guys that, in my this is, Carlos Alcaraz is the funnest player to watch in tennis. It's not close. Djokovic isn't close. when it Just when it comes to, I think Carlos Alcaraz makes every one of his opponents look better or look more entertaining because of what he forces them to do. They have to try different shots. They have to do different angles because he goes, well, I'm doing it, so you have to. Guess what? I'm going to do this return to you and you're going to have to do something with it if you want to stay in the point. And Dan Evans, who I like from Great Britain, he played hard and he made some incredible shots. But ultimately he loses to Carlos because Carlos is awesome. So that was fun. And I initially thought, okay, well, Carlos beats Dan Evans. He's going to face a qualifier, Arnoldi, who he beat yesterday. He's gearing up for a Yannick Sinner quarterfinal. But last night, I realized if he went to bed, Alexander, aka Sasha, Sasha Zverev, plays Yannick Sinner second on Ash. Stabellanca cruises to an easy win. We'll talk about the women's draw, but you get Zverev versus Sinner. Five-set thriller, late match. They both threw everything they had at one another. Zverev wins the first set. Sinner comes back in the second. Zverev wins the third. Sinner catches a break early in the fourth, and then Zverev fought his way. And something I'll credit him for is normally you see him lose these matches. It goes five sets, and his opponent has more in the tank. But he battled. He fought through it. This is the major. He made his only Grand Slam final and he lost to Dominic Team way back when. But he's now four and one all time head to head against Yannick Sinner. And he I thought I thought Sinner would be the one to dethrone Carlos. Because I didn't think last year's winners were Carlos Alcaraz and Iga Schweintek. Carlos beat Caspar Rudd, Schweintek beat. Ons Jabber. On the women's draw, both the women are out. On the men's draw, Kaspar Rudd is done. Carlos remains in a quarterfinal slot. He won in straight sets. He now gets Zverev, who just played over four hours, and he'll get today off, and I imagine Carlos will be playing tomorrow night on primetime, but that's not an easy turnaround to get the number one player in the world after that long of a fight. Zverev has played good tennis. He's kept his composure for the most part. His ground strokes are extremely solid. He's forcing his opponents to make really difficult shots on the run. I just think Sinner plays such an interesting style. He plays Carlos very tough. He forces, he goes, I think for any opponent, you need to go big against Carlos. You need to go big on the serve. You need to go big on the forehand. And make him make shots that he normally doesn't. Or make him uncomfortable is a better way to define that. But credit to Zverev, Incredible match. The Open's been extremely fun so far. Today you have Taylor Fritz playing Novak Djokovic. Novak has beaten Taylor Fritz in all seven previous matchups. But it's fascinating because you have Fritz, who's been dominant, and Novak, who had that scare in the third round, went to five sets, but I never thought he was going to lose that match. So Fritz has looked phenomenal, hasn't dropped a set yet, has dropped his serve once, and Novak, who has looked pretty incredible himself. That's this, I thought that was going to be prime time, but it's this afternoon. It's following Coco Gauff's match. I'm not betting against Novak. I said before I thought Novak Djokovic was going to win this tournament. Still the best player in the world for me. Fritz is, is game. He might be the best American male tennis player in the world. I think Tiafo's right there with him. And both men are playing today, but for Taylor, for, keep, serve, keep serving the way he's serving. He's hitting the ground strokes incredibly well, and sometimes you got to hope your opponent's just off. If Novak Djokovic in the third round was playing maybe a Taylor Fritz or a Carlos or a Sinner, he would have lost. But he was playing Laslo Gere, a countryman, and yes, as a country, but he, he's he's not a, a great player. He's a good tennis player, but he's not a great one. He's never been to a a Grand Slam round of 16. So Novak came back, and he dusted off the next three sets, and he moves on. I think Novak's played okay. I thought He played the fourth round against another unseated opponent in Gojo, and he won in straight sets, but he didn't play great tennis. I thought it would be an easier win. It took longer than I think even Novak expected. And for him to win today, he's going to have to play extremely well against Taylor Fritz because Taylor Fritz is game. Taylor Fritz is a really good opponent. He's talented. He's getting better every year. And then you get, on primetime, you get Tiafo and Ben Shelton. Ben Shelton's 20 years old. First year at NCAA ranks. And this is his second major quarterfinal. Made the quarterfinal in Australia lost to Tommy Paul. Round of 16 here at the Open, he beats Tommy Paul in four sets. Beats a countryman, and now he gets another one in Francis Tiafo, who made the semifinals at the Open last year, and he's looking to repeat that achievement to maintain those ranking points. I think this is fun, because you have Shelton, who can hit a serve 150 miles per hour, and you have Tiafoe who will make you run, will force you to go on long rallies, and he'll hit shots that you you don't expect to see coming. So the the Open decides to go with an All-American matchup not featuring Novak Djokovic instead of going Djokovic and Fritz. I thought primetime decisions today were interesting. Coco Goff's on the court right now. Novak Djokovic is on the court following the conclusion of that match. The women's match this evening is Karolina Mukova, who is a very good tennis player. She made the final in Cincinnati, and she's she's had her best season by far on the tour. But she's not a huge name. When you could have had Coco Gauff on primetime, which she's playing currently. Interesting. Tonight you have Serana Cristea, who's in her first Grand Slam quarter. She's from Romania. Looking to become the second ever Grand Slam champion from Romania since Simona Halep. Mukova made the final at the French Open. Lost to Swiatek made the final in Cincinnati, lost to Coco Gauff. So she could face Coco Gauff in the semifinal of a rematch of a couple weeks ago. Coco Gauff's 19. She's incredibly talented. She's had the summer of her life when it comes to success. Two tournament wins. She's now in a quarterfinal at the U.S. Open. She's the highest-seeded seated player remaining in her half after Schweintek got upset by Yelena Ostapenko. You look at the women's draw, she's she'd be the second biggest favorite. On the other side, you have Arnya Sabalenka, who's made the semifinal at the first three majors this year. She plays Zhang, who's in her first career major quarterfinal. You also have Madison Keys Vondrousova play each other. Vondrousova won Wimbledon. Keys has been to a Grand Slam final, but hasn't broken through yet. So it's big moments. I think the Keys Vondrousova match is really good. I think the Sabalenka match has the potential to be very uh, entertaining as well. But she's really honed her game. She wins the first Grand Slam of the year, and she hasn't fallen off. She's kept her composure. And after winning last night's match, doesn't matter if she wins a Grand Slam. Schweintech's out in the fourth round. After the Open, when the rankings are updated, she will be the new number one player in the world for the women's draw. Just like Novak Djokovic will will be the new number one player for the men, regardless if Carlos Alcaraz can defend his Grand Slam title here in New York. But the tennis has been very good. It's been entertaining. The crowds have been fun. Aaron Rodgers was out. Aaron Judge saw him there last night catching some tennis. Only a few days left. You got quarterfinals staying tomorrow. Women's semis on Thursday. Men's semis on Friday. Then we wrap it up on Saturday and Sunday. Something I said about the Open for a year. The only thing they do wrong is they schedule the men's final for Sunday afternoon. Sunday afternoon is the first week one of the NFL season. The first slate of games, the first full slate, and nobody cares about the tennis. And it doesn't matter who's playing. It's always secondary. It's always on the back burner. It's never on the first TV. I think it's a mistake. If you could get – I I don't think it would be a horrible thing to have the men and the women finish on the same day. I know that's always okay. You go the women on Saturday, men on Sunday. It doesn't work when it's, if you're thinking about ESPN, who has this tournament throughout and you love having it throughout because it's great programming and I think the ratings have been pretty good. They had the game on ABC on Sunday afternoon. Yes, I was watching with my mother. They had it on ABC. That's great, but if you go through an entire tournament and you finish with kind of a wet fart on a Sunday afternoon because nobody gives a shit that your product's on, and a, it, it could be djokovic alcaraz which will be awesome. It'll be a phenomenal tennis match. The two best players in the world. Maybe I'll be wrong in the meet in the final. I predicted they wouldn't, but after Sinner loses, And you're going to have a tired Zverev. Maybe Medvedev can knock off Carlos. He lost the first set last night, but he mowed through the next three against Alex Dibonur. Maybe he will be the one to surprise. I don't think it's anybody coming from the Djokovic half of the draw. The American crowd would love it because you have three Americans and Novak in that side. But I don't think it's coming from there. So maybe you will get Carlos versus Novak, like you did at Wimbledon, like you did in the semifinal at the French, like you did in the final in Cincinnati, and it'll be a thriller. Because both guys are phenomenal. Both guys can do anything. But people won't care because you'll be watching Steelers and 49ers. The best two o'clock game. People will be tuned in to when okay, we go through the two o'clock games. 525. We'll be watching Chargers and Dolphins from SoFi. That's interesting. Let's watch this. It won't be top of mind. So finding a way to get better scheduling so you don't get in this predicament will be something I would have figured out a long damn time ago. Clearly, it's not that important to the Open or the TV people. I think it would be because I don't think the ratings are always that good. They can't be because the NFL is huge. Huge. Speaking of the NFL, nothing too crazy happened over the weekend. Terrence Steele, a Cowboys tackle, got a long term extension. But Tuesday, 2 03 Atlantic, Chris Jones of the Kansas City Chiefs. Still does not have a contract. He's holding out. Wants more money, wants a new deal. The Chiefs play in two days. He's their best defensive player. He's their second most important player on that team. And he's nowhere to be seen. That's a big deal. Not just for Thursday's game and, and the betting line. But they need him in there. and Andy Reid can say, I work with the people that are here, coach speak, all of that. But it certainly looks like he's not going to be playing in week one because he's not available right now. Nick Bosa, he's also holding out. He's also doesn't have a new contract yet. The 49ers have a few extra days, but they play on Sunday against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And the way it sounded with injuries, I read a report this morning on Twitter. The 49ers do not expect to have Nick Bosa or George Kittle in week one. Two extremely important players to that team. If you recall, the 49ers lost to the Chicago Bears last year in week one on the road. The Bears had a horrible season, and I expect the 49ers to be good, but it doesn't mean they'll be fantastic to start off the year. See what happens with the 49ers and with the Chiefs. But two of the best pass rushers in the NFL, two guys that can wreck defenses, may not be on the field because, as of right now, there's no updates, there's no contract. Sounds like Chris Jones and the Chiefs aren't having regular conversations, so it's hard to get a deal done. It's hard to get anything done without communication. So, that's what's happening with the NFL. But we got games this week. It's, it's phenomenal. Oh, and as, I say, as we're talking about this, great. Diana Rossini, who now used to work for the Mothership, she now works for the Athletic. Joe Burrow, Nick Bosa, Chris Jones, and Justin Jefferson all have contract offers on the table. I know Justin Jefferson wants to get his deal done before the season starts. He's the best receiver in the NFL. I would sign him. It is weird that they don't have they don't have Kirk Cousins signed to a deal past this year. But I would still keep Justin Jefferson cuz I don't give a crap what quarterback I have coming in. He makes them better. Joe Burrow starting this season without a contract is crazy to me. He's the second best quarterback in the NFL. He's the heartbeat of that team. He's a guy that actually wants to play in Cincinnati. And I get their owner is a cheap bastard, but I don't care. You have a quarterback for the first time. Keep him. Don't piss him off. Sign him to a deal. He deserves more money than Justin Herbert. He deserves more money than Lamar Jackson because he's done something they haven't done. He's gotten his team to the damn Super Bowl. He got them to the AFC Championship game last year. And if, some, if, if Chris Jones doesn't sack him with three minutes left, they might go to back-to-back Super Bowls and who knows, maybe they'd win it. But the fact that it's a deliberation, the fact that it's not done yet with, with a quarterback, these contracts are not that difficult, because when it comes to a quarterback, you just give them the money. Herbert's contract and Allen got a contract. Lamar, Herbert, Mahomes, it's Joe Burrow's turn. Jalen Hurts got a got a contract. But if, if there's a or if there's a place that will screw this up. It's Cincinnati because it's a bunch of cheapos and they don't want to give him money. Okay. Remember when Carson Palmer left and you had Andy Dalton for a decade and you didn't win jack shit. You didn't win a playoff game for 15 years with Marvin Lewis. Want to go back to those days? with Andy Dalton and Brandon Allen is your quarterback duo. Putting the fear of God in people. And you make a wild card every second year, but then you get to the playoff game and get smoked by the Steelers. I'd want to keep Joe Burrow. He's not a guy to go, oh, let's go in the draft. We can find a better solution. No, you won't. Unless you're getting Caleb Williams, who's a generational talent, which they won't get, you're not getting somebody. So sign the guy. If I had to put, if I go Jefferson, so there's Burrow. Justin, Bosa, and Chris Jones. The four of them. If I had to rate it, I think before Sunday's kickoff, I'm going to go Joe Burrow. I'm going to go 55% that he has his contract signed, sealed, delivered, long-term in Cincinnati. Again, I'm banking on Cincinnati to be smart. There's not a rush for this, you could say. But if I'm Joe Burrow, why the hell am I getting back on the field? I got hurt in training camp. Give me my money. I'll go 55%. Justin Jefferson, by Sunday, I'm going to go 80%. I think that's getting done before Sunday. I think they want to get it done. I think he wants to get it done. He wants a big check. If you got a guy who wants to stay in cold-ass Minnesota, you pay the guy. No offense, Minnesota. You can take offense if you feel bad about it. I don't I won't feel bad. So take offense if, if that's the way you want to go with it. But I'm gonna go 80% on Justin Jefferson because I think it's been close. I think they've been close on specific details for a long time. They'll wrap it up. Nick Bosa. His brother Joey didn't mind a holdout. That family wants to get their money. I think that the Kachuk version of the NFL, and that's a compliment. You play the game, yes, you want to win, of course, but you, at the end of the day, you play the game to make dollars to get money. And I'm going to go 40%. I think he at least misses a week. This could be an Emmett Smith situation where you look around and go, God, we miss Nick Bosa. We need him back. He might play week two. And Chris Jones, I'm going to go 10%. 10% doesn't sound good. And again, he's got to play by Thursday. Sign him. Is he going to be available by Thursday? Unlikely. So decisions for all these teams, Justin Jefferson and Joe Burrow are both at practice. That's different situations than the other two. But I just feel those two deals are close. Jefferson, I give the best odds of happening, but I'll be something to monitor before the season kicks off Thursday night in Kansas City. Over the weekend, we had another UFC event in Paris. UFC Paris. Paris is an awesome city for these events. They are a great crowd. They said they're unlikely to go back next year because of the Olympics, which I get. But it was a really fun event. A lot of French fighters had good nights. Taylor Lapulas fighting... Colin Locklin, Cage Warriors champion, came in on short notice. Laughlin was cocky before, giving people the finger, doing a bunch of brash stuff. But this is about Lapulus. It was his first UFC fight since 2016. Had to battle his way back into the promotion. And he looked fantastic. Great striking and gave some really good damage, just landing good shots. Defended the takedowns well. Lachlan pushed him against the cage, trying to get him in the clinch. But Lapulus was by far the better fighter. He landed the better shots. And he was cool, calm, and collected the entire fight. He wins via unanimous decision 29-28. to 28, And a huge win at home for him. Lachlan uh, puts his tail between his legs. Doesn't look all that good. He fought okay, but he was brash before. And when you're that cocky, and you don't win eat it. Morgan Carriere, UFC debut. He gets a big win. He looked good in that fight. Starting off uh, the main card, he comes out. Crowd's going crazy. He knocks out Takini in the first round, landing body shots. And now he's, he's set in the UFC. William Gomez beats Giannis Yamiri versus a, a, a third round KO. We get into the bigger events, light heavyweight. Bogdan Guskov Volkan Ozdemir. I expected Guskov to win. Ozdemir was on a slide. He had been struggling for a while. He looked great. He was sharp. He he got a takedown on Guskov and controlled him for a bit, and his boxing was not it was the best I've seen him fight in years. In years. And he gets a submission, rear naked choke, in the first round. So he he gets a statement win. He's a ranked guy in the light heavyweight division. I don't know who's next for him because he's fought the who's who of fighters at light heavyweight. I thought maybe Anthony Smith would make sense if Anthony Smith wanted to come back. After his last fight where it took a lot out of him. Dominic Reyes hasn't fought all year. Anthony Smith fought Oztemir back in 2018. And he beat him. But it went nearly three rounds. So I don't know if Anthony Smith wants to have another fight with a guy that he's fought before. Like he did with Ryan, Ryan Spann. But Ozdemir has fought a lot of really tough opponents. And light heavyweight, it's an interesting division for sure. He's 9, Anthony Smith is 8. Nikita Krylov hasn't fought in a long time. He's dealing with an injury. You have Rakic, who hasn't fought all year after blowing his knee out last year. So that could be a fight. I thought maybe we want to fight a guy lower in the rankings again. Khalil, Khalil Roundtree, surging prospect. He's a. I wouldn't want to fight him because I think he's dangerous. But be curious to see what they do with him when it comes to booking because it's not easy he, because he has fought a lot of guys that are that are tough. Then we get to Benoit Saint Denis, Thiago Moises. What a fight. Benoit Saint-Denis is just a straight killer. He's a straight killer. Every fight he goes into, he attacks, he presses, and he's going to do whatever it takes to get the win. He doesn't want to win via decision. He wants to get the finish. He wants to have his moment in the cage, and he had another one. Great punches, going in, nailing the body. Gets, Gets him on the ground, and just he's constantly attacking. He's not afraid to mix it up and do whatever it takes to win. And at the end of that second round, he was pressing and he wanted that. He didn't want to go into the third. He wanted to win. He just kept playing. Haymaker after haymaker with the ground strikes. The ref stepped in. He gets a win. He's now 12-1 and one as a pro. He beat Ishmael Bonfim in July, which was a huge win in my mind. He beat Nicholas Stolce. He beat Gabriel Miranda. He hasn't lost since 2021. That was his only loss in the UFC, and he's gotten better since. I think he's right on the cusp of being a ranked fighter in the lightweight division, and I think the UFC should book him against Matt Frivola. Matt Frivola, who in his last fight knocked out... Um. Matt Frivola, who did uh, I? had that right in the top of my mind. It was a fun, was kind of a surprising knockout, to be honest. Now it's going to bother me. I have to go find it. He knocked out a good fighter, too. He's ranked at the time. Drew Dober, knocked out Drew Dober. And Frivola is ranked 14th, but it's his first time in the rankings. I'm sure he wants to get a guy higher than himself. But I think that's a war. I think that's a fun fight. I think Frivola would be down for that. So that's the fight I would make from the UFC. That's where I'm going with with that. But in, really impressive. co event: Manal Ferro, Rose Nama Yunus. Rose Nama Yunus's first flight, first fight in the flyweight division. Didn't go all that well. She broke her finger in a nasty way in the in the contorted in the first round. Ferrow was just bigger. she's stronger, she's bigger. Rose tried to shoot for takedowns. they didn't work. her boxing was better. she really touched up Thug Rose quite well and Ferrow again she improves to eleven and one she wins in home soil. she looks great. so now it's is it Manofro or Aaron Blanchfield that gets the title opportunity? After UFC uh, Nosh in two weeks, when Alexa Grasso fights Valentina Shevchenko, I think Aaron Blanchfield was more impressive. I think Aaron Blanchfield is just, she's had more impressive finishes, more impressive outings in the UFC. And I also think Tyler Santos was a tougher opponent for the weight class because Rose is not a flyweight. She She needs to go back down. That's her weight class. I like she fought well, she didn't look like she didn't want to be in there, like she's mentioned before. So I don't think it's it'd be a time for her to consider retirement unless she wants to. But in her next fight, it shouldn't be at flyweight. She can't, she's not as big as these other girls. It's not gonna work. But Foreau and and Aaron both have only lost one time in their pro career. Aaron has not lost in the UFC, neither has Faroe. They both have a legitimate argument to, to square off of the belt. The problem is, there's a championship fight in two weeks. When will the champion defend their title again? Sometimes it's just about waiting around. I, uh, Grasso won the title in March. So now it's how long until you want to defend it again? So I believe she won it in March. She did. March 4th. And now you're fighting in September. So would you fight in March again? Is that a, a decent r- turnaround? And the problem is, what are you going to do with the other? They're going to be bored. Is there a fight that makes sense for them? Are they just going to sit there and wait? Kind of like Bala Muhammad is doing right now in, in their welterweight division where he should be the one fighting Leon Edwards for the belt, but it's Colby Covington for whatever reason. And he's he has to sit there and just wait for his opportunity. Wait for his next fight, which could come, who the hell knows, end of next year. Leon Edwards is not exactly the most active fighter in the world. Fought in February, hasn't fought since. There's no date for his next fight. No date for him in Covington's fight. We think it's December, but there's nothing signed, sealed, delivered yet, so it could be any time. December pay-per-view, we don't have a headliner yet. It's gonna be Prohaska and Pereira. Prohaska, another guy. He's been healthy for. He's been healthy as a horse forever. So we. So he says to Ariel Hawani, and so does Ariel Hawani reports that. But you get no fight booked. Hear nothing about that fight. Are they gonna add it to New York? Decisions to be made. Then the main event. I got this wrong. Sir, Cyril Gon Sergey Spivak. Cyril Gon. Back in France, looked phenomenal. It was a perfect fight for him. Perfect fight. Didn't didn't allow Spivak to get him to the ground. Defended the one takedown he attempted. Controlled the tempo. Landed any shot he wanted to. Started to attack the body and just landed shot after shot after shot. And he landed 111 strikes. to I think Spivak's 11 in the total in, in the entirety of the fight? And this is, you look at Cyril Gaunt, he's got the body, you look at him, you go, he's going to be a champion. All the talent in the world, and yet he's had stinkers against Francis fighting for the belt, and an even bigger stinker fighting against John Jones for the belt. And now he's back to number one in the rankings, following this victory, I believe. He's back to number one. He passed Sergei Pavlovich. So what now? Stipe against John Jones in November. And Pavlovich is weighing in as the backup for the second time for a John Jones title fight. Curtis Blades has Jelton Almeida. Then there's Tom Aspinall. Tom Aspinall said he wants to fight Pavlovich. If I'm Pavlovich, I'm weighing in for a fight. I have weighed in for two title fights. I'm not fighting anybody. I deserve a look. I deserve the next chance to become the heavyweight champion of the world. So what I think will happen... Cyril Gon's next fight is going to be against Tom Aspinall. And I'm all for it. It's a fun fight. And it's really the only fight that these two can make for one. For the UFC can book for these guys. Stipe, booked. Pavlovich, likely not going to fight. Bates, Blades, booked. Tai Tuivasa, fighting this weekend. Volkov, fighting this weekend. Spivak, just fought and lost. Derek Lewis, too low. Cyril Gon and Tom Aspinall, that can be a main event. It doesn't have to be on a pay-per-view. That's a five-round fight to me. Heavyweights like their time off. Book it next year. Book it next year, and I would coincide it with... Whatever, whatever, and again, this can change if John Jones retires. Because if John Jones retires, I'm going with Pavlovich and Aspinall for the belt. Cyril Gon's gotten two cracks. He's not getting another one until he earns it, until he keeps getting wins. If John Jones beats Steve Miachich and goes, you know what? All these young guys think they're better than me. I'll fake the winner of. I'll fight the next the next contender. Then you do it. Then you do it. Otherwise, I don't know. Or you book it in New York as a co main event. Three rounds, Aspinall and and Pavlovich. But he's weighing in as the backup, so that's unlikely to happen. But the UFC kind of has to figure out what, what's John Jones going to do? Stipe, he's going to retire, win or lose, in my mind. Pavlovich, I'm sorry, John Jones, he's an enigma. I don't think he's going to, maybe he'll retire in the cage. If he does, then you have another interim championship that you have to deal with. And again, Pavlovich, Aspinall, because that's the fight to make. And then if Cyril gone has to wait around for another fight where maybe he fights Alexander Volkov if he beats Bam Bam this weekend, or if he fights Jelton Almeida if he can beat Curtis Blades in their matchup in Sao Paulo in November, then that's what you do. L- light heavyweight's currently vacant. You're, a heavyweight could be vacant after November, so it's and you have to make all these decisions and find fights. And it sounds like they're going to, Dana White says, said on the contender series presser Tuesday night, next year's going to be a big year. They're booked till March already. They got fights booked till March. I think they're going to China next year. And I think they might even be going to Africa next year. Be tough to pull off. But if, in particular, if Israel Adesanya, who's fighting, who's defending his middleweight championship this weekend against, Sean Strickland, if he can win that fight, and Drickus Duplacy is still the guy he wants to fight next, you put that fight in Africa, and it'll crush. If you can get a fight in China, you go with Zhang Weili against Yang Shangnan, even though Tyler Santos, uh, even though uh. Yeah, Tyler, even though Tyler Sanders could be fighting for the belt, she'd be worthy of it. That's not the fight to make because it's in China. Two Chinese fighters fighting for the belt. It's a star studded affair. Who isn't who isn't buying into that? It'll do crazy numbers. The crowd will be fantastic. But Cyril Ghosn looks good. He improves. To 12-2. His only losses as a pro were in title fights. UFC 293 this weekend in Australia. Adesanya Strickland. You have Ty Tuivasa, Alexander Volkov, and the co-main. Manil Kopp, a surging flyweights fighting Felipe Dos Santos. Dos Santos was supposed to be on the Contender Series two weeks ago. His opponent... Couldn't make the fight, so they give him this opportunity because Kai of France has a concussion. So great there. Justin Toffa, Austin Lane, rematch of USC Jacksonville when the fight was ended due to an accidental eye poke. Tyson Pedro, Anton Turlock, a light heavy. This has got Jack Jenkins, an Australian fighter who's really fun against. Chepi Mariscal, who, and again, another guy. Carlos Oberg has been on a run as of late. Jamie Malarkey. Not the best pay per view in the world, but it's a pay per view. It's in Australia. It'll be fun. That's coming up this weekend. Quickly to baseball. Big notes from this weekend. The Jays are on a streak. They're winning games. They're playing bad teams, and that's what you got to do. You got to beat them. Take two or three from the Rockies, winning extras against the Oakland Athletics yesterday narrowly beating the Oakland Athletics, but they get the win. That's the biggest thing. Guys are hurt. No Bichette, no Matt Chapman, Danny Jansen's on the AL, but guys are stepping up and the Texas Rangers, their slide is continuing. They got crushed 13 to six yesterday against the rival, the Houston Astros. And now the Blue Jays only trail them by half a game for the final wild card spot in the American league. So you got to keep keep taking care of business. They play two more against the Athletics. They play the Kansas City Royals for three games. So Kansas City's now actually the worst team in baseball, surpassing Oakland. So they got the two worst teams in baseball this week. Oakland with 42 wins, so does Kansas City. So both teams are just pathetic. You got to win those games. Houston plays Texas two more times this week. Somebody's got to lose. That's the best thing about those games. Quite honestly, you kind of want Houston to win because yes, they might gain ground in the second wild card spot, but you want to get in at this point. Other uh, Baltimore has won three in a row. They look like they were skidding a bit, but no, they get back on track. They're eighty-six and fifty-one. They take two or three in Arizona. They win last night in Los Angeles. They're impressive. NL wild card: Arizona, Cincinnati, and the Marlins all. Tied for the final wildcard spot. San Francisco is only a game back, so it's just pandemonium down there. Craziness, Chicago has a, a good three-game lead for that the second wildcard spot. They're just trying to catch Milwaukee at this point. Philadelphia leads every team by five and a half games. They're in a, a good spot. They know where they're going to be. Air, between Arizona and Cincinnati, the Mar, Marlins have a tough schedule. they got the Dodgers. This week, then you look at Cincinnati, they're playing the Seattle Mariners. And Arizona, Arizona's got the Rockies. so They got the best matchup of of the three, but it's just about finding wins at this point. The Cubs start a series with the Giants this week as well. So big series for both of those teams. And really, the statement of the weekend in baseball was the Atlanta Braves. They went into Chavez Ravine to play the Dodgers, where they have not played good baseball over the last four to five years. And they took three of four. Three of four games, Ronald Acuna Jr. homered in all four games, which is impressive for him, joined the 30-homer, 60-steal club. He's up up to 33 home runs now. The Braves have 90 wins, the first team in baseball this year to achieve that milestone. And both teams are great. Both teams are I think the two best teams in baseball, but the Braves sent a message. We're going to get home field advantage in all likelihood, unless everything goes to shit this, this month. But if we have to come, when we come play road games here, we're not afraid. We know how to win here. We can beat you. Our pitching is better, which it is. It's the Dodgers biggest weakness. It's their Achilles heel. They also Julio Urias, who you can maybe say is their ace of their staff. Got arrested on a felony domestic violence yesterday. So he might not be available the rest of the year. So he might be gone. No Dustin May, Tony Gonsalin as having Tommy John. He's gone. No Walker Bueller. They are thin. And no Julio Riz. It's going to be a bunch of guys you never heard of. And Clayton Kershaw, who is on the last year of his deal and could be done with baseball after October. At the very least, could be done in Los Angeles. So big news there. We got Texas and Houston this week. Twins are playing the Guardians, big series. You get some importance down the stretch. Every game matters for these teams as we get closer and closer to the postseason. Tomorrow on the pod, AFC West and NFC West NFL previews. Both will be tomorrow. Then we got the over-unders. We got my predictions on playoff teams and who's going to win every division. That's coming Thursday. So gear up. The NFL is back in just two nights. Hope you all had a great Labor Day. Enjoy the rest of this beautiful Tuesday. We'll be back with you tomorrow here on To The Point.